Good morning and welcome to our sermon this morning where we continue the series we've been running on the, the parables, the parables of Jesus. Those very illustrative and very deep and thoughtful and teaching stories which Jesus told to his disciples and to the people. Just out of interest, I looked up on my computer what it had to say about parables. And it said quite succinctly that a parable is a short, fictitious story that is presented to teach a religious principle, simple truth, or moral lesson. It doesn't mention Jesus, but then you probably wouldn't expect that, would you? Uh, so did Jesus invent the parables? Were there parables before Jesus? If there was, then we'd have to accept that Jesus very certainly popularised them. So many of them have found a prominent spot in our conversation today. Even among those who know little of the Bible, the parables of Jesus remain some of the best known stories in the world. In fact, about one third of Jesus' teaching was in parables. The dictionary defines the word, word, the word parable as a placement side by side for the purpose of comparison. A placement side by side for the purpose of comparison. It compares something familiar to Jesus' audience, a farmer sowing seeds or a traveler being robbed and beaten with the unfamiliar. Love and mercy, forgiveness, our response to the word of God. Jesus had the wisdom to simplify the profound spiritual truths he needed to share with the disciples, which would, of course, eventually be over the century passed on to us, in the form of relatable stories that are easy to understand. And yet there does appear to be here, to the casual observer, a paradox, doesn't there? Where on the one hand we're told that Jesus used parables so that the people could better understand his message, when the disciples asked Jesus why he speaks in parables, he replies, as recorded in Matthew, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, not to them. Whoever has will be given more and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. As my Bible commentary says, parables compel listeners, and let's bracket there, let's underline the word listeners, those who are really listening, to discover truth, while at the same time concealing the truth from those too lazy, too stubborn, or too full of their own importance and conceit to see it. To those who are honestly searching, the truth becomes clear. We can well imagine the Pharisees and others saying to each other after hearing Jesus speaking, what a lot of tosh, what a lot of old rubbish, and then giving it no second thought. But others are more sincerely searching, pondering, 
discussing and finding the pearls of God's wisdom there. So now to today's parable, usually simply called the sower. The first thing we should note is that Jesus doesn't speak at all about preparing the land before sowing. No digging, irrigation or fertilising, no plough or oxen, simply a man flinging seed around everywhere in a field. I can well imagine now that every farmer who may be listening to this will be sucking in their breath at this lack of preparation. This parable can be interpreted in many ways, not the least about the importance of the types of ground best for seeds to germinate and thrive in. However, this parable is called the parable of the sower and is at its heart about the extravagance, abundance and seemingly irrational actions of the sower of the seeds, the seeds of the kingdom. The creative and life-giving word of God, the seed, goes out and like the rain that falls everywhere, it'll bring forth new life. In Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 13, we read, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. I said that before. Uh, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose to which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst forth into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of thornbush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This is not a God, a miserly God, careful with the seeds of life, only sowing them in good fertile soil. soil. This God throws them around. He doesn't pick out the right people, the ones who will be good believers and faithful followers. He sows the seeds everywhere, on pathways, stony grounds, among thorns where hungry birds eat them up, and on the good soil too. There are two main components here. There is the extravagant sower, the God who through the witness and work of the church, people like us who proclaim his mercy and goodness to all. Then there is the ground on which the seed falls. The word of God is being proclaimed in the church to those who attend and mostly identify as followers of Jesus. In one way or another, lots of people who don't identify as Christians, but nonetheless are aware of the message. And there are still others who perhaps have never heard the story before, but nonetheless all are aware of the Christian church and the faithful church must be aware of them. It sometimes surprises me how little some people these days know about the church, about the Christian message. I often wince when I watch The Chaser, that, um, that program on uh, Channel 7 at five o'clock every afternoon, a quiz show. 
I often wince when I ask questions about the Bible at how little some people know at all about the very basics of the Bible. I remember once when uh, a question was asked, who was the husband of Mary, the father of Jesus? And the fellow said, Moses was obviously a shot in the dark and he was a few hundred years out. Uh, and and that, they often ask questions about the church and often people absolutely have no idea, no idea at all. But it's not helpful, indeed it's not right, to think our society, the people around us, are made up of good and bad soil, good people and bad people. We know that there are those who hear the message and become committed Christians, and then there are most of the others who think that if not actually mad, then we're probably a bit strange. However, before we begin categorizing and labeling people into different camps, which is really quite the wrong thing to do, we need to keep in mind Jesus' words, who taught us that it is out of every human heart that all goodness and evil comes. For the following uh, few, uh, um, part of this sermon, I, I acknowledge a material I used, I've used from a minister, Rebecca Newlands, from St. Philip's Church in Canberra. She says, everyone is a mix of soils plus a quagmire of unproductive land. Many of us from our own experience can well identify with a person who hears the word, but the cares and worries and fears may lead us to struggle with it, if not wander away from our faith, even if just for a time. Or we get obsessed with wealth and security and God's message is strangled. Or at COVID-19 times such as this, we just shake our heads and wonder what's going on. Or we're simply ignorant and we don't understand. Parables are like riddles, intended to tease the mind into insight rather than to communicate a simple idea. One of the keys to the parable of the sower is the concept of understanding. And this may be said of all the parables, a special understanding. The seed that falls on the pathway, as Jesus explains, is the word of God that's not understood. The seed, the word sown on rocky ground, is trouble and persecution. And that which falls amongst thorns that is attachment to wealth and worry, and it does not thrive and bear fruit. But the seed that falls on good ground is the word of God that is understood and accepted and bears fruit in abundance. There's a big difference between hearing the word and understanding it. This understanding is not about our intellectual capability, nothing to do with how well you understand the scriptures and can make sense of the complexities of Christian theology. Understanding here implies an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, not our own. Psalm 34 verse three says, 
Give me understanding that I may keep the law and observe it with my whole heart. Understanding is a moral commitment involving one's inmost self. Scripture tells us that such an understanding is beyond intellectual competence, but is God's gift. By grace, not by human effort, are we able to incorporate the word into our very being. In a way, we've come full circle. The God of abundant generosity who throws around seed with gay abandon, who includes all and everything in his love and mercy, is also the God who by sheer grace enables us to take the word of God into our hearts. The most basic field into which God sows his grace is our life, where it sometimes meets with hard soil and rocky soil and weeds and sometimes with good soil that bears the fruit of extending God's limitless love with others. It should be our constant prayer that our hearts be good soil today and that we are grounded in a faith community where we can hear the word and stand strong and tall in the face of all difficulties and trials and that the Holy Spirit will open our hearts so that we can understand the word, the seed, deeply and fully. Finally, when we look to the entire gospel story of Jesus, there is there something profoundly important. As we see here in the beautiful commentary from the Lutheran theologian, Paul J. Neuschlenstein. Look, he says, at the climax of the gospel story, Jesus hanging by himself on the cross, utterly and totally rejected. Not even his disciples have joined him in this terrible fate. They've all run away, afraid, at the first signs of persecution. In other words, even they had proved to be rocky soil. Jesus is God's word made flesh, given to this world. And when all was said and done, no one had eyes or ears or minds to understand that word Jesus was completely rejected. But on Easter morning, it bore fruit anyway. God raised that seed of Jesus' death to bear fruit of new life precisely in the teeth of total rejection. Let's consider, if you or I were confronted with a field that was completely grown over and rocky, what would we do? Abandon it, perhaps. Or get a big powerful plough and at least try to plough it all under in order to hopefully create some good soil. But this is not what God did in Jesus Christ. God did not plough us all under and start afresh. No, instead, God sowed the seed of his loving forgiveness anyway, and it bore fruit 
not just in spite of the rejection of the bad soil, but through it. It was precisely by Jesus himself becoming the rejected one on the cross that God somehow bore the fruit of new life. Here, of course, is where our agricultural imagery fails us and the mystery of God's wonderful grace comes forth. End of quote. May God find our hearts open to him and may his word, that seed, live in us and bear abundant fruit. Amen.